Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yay! Very excited to start off this episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and that is Shelly Mazzanobo. Yay! Greg and Shelly! <laughs> Yay! Exciting times abound! Sure do. Sure we do. Getting ready for the release of Dragonland Shadow of the Dragon Queen out there. And we are excited to have two amazing folks Wes Snyder, the lead designer, project lead, and Rob Davio, who, along with Stephen Baker, designer of a little game you might have heard of called Hero Quest, um, and Rob <laughs> Davio, who made uh, legacy games a thing with Risk Legacy at our parent company, Hasbro, but it's gone on to do amazing other things, including Betrayal at House on the Hill and... Legacy. And, yeah, and Legacy and... Uh, Betrayal at uh, Mystery Mansion. Betrayal at Mystery Mansion, as well as The Dark Tower, which I loved playing when I was a kid. Yes. Restoring that with his game company. So two amazing folks talking all about working together and being game designers and being inside their brains. It's going to be great because... Getting inside the brain of game designers is quite fascinating. Can be scary at times, but really fascinating, and it's very safe. I promise. I'm. I'm what was that sitcom in the '80s called Herman's Head? Oh, you remember God. that? Yes. I had that moment of like, like going inside like Rob's head and just seeing all of like the parts, oh, the sports fandoms, yeah. the, the the little chits, all of the legacy things that you've ripped up and thrown away over the time is actually still in his brain. I I kind of love that idea. Yeah. I think there should be a reality TV show about game designers and getting inside their heads. Oh my gosh! So there's been you know people making cooking stuff. There's been uh, you know Lego masters reality shows. Why can't there be game designer project runway? Shows? But games, I it's it is really it would be fascinating. I I need to speak with someone. I think we've pitched that a few times, haven't we, Sean? <laughs> I don't think the game designer wants... I mean, I, I have a, an entire presentation about reality TV shows in D&D. Of course I do. Yeah. But I haven't... I'm going to try to flesh this one out. Make it happen. I would I love am. it. Okay. Yeah. I'll be your host. I'll be your host, Greg Tito. Right? Will Arnett's got nothing on me. <laughs> I mean... I, I could be like that. <laughs> wait, 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 finish that thought. Finish that thought, Joe. I mean, you're right. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love Will Arnett. I do too. And I love you too. So yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> same. I don't even, I can't even tell you guys apart. It's so right, weird how many times I almost call you Will. Person. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Or you just call me Job. It's an <laughs> illusion, Michael. <laughs> Uh, Excellent. I want to see that happen, and I think these two uh, should be a part of that. Maybe as celebrity judges, uh, it would be very good. We also uh, are excited for, uh, as we said, Shadows of the Dragon Queen, as well as Warriors of Kryn, and how folks can get together and play those in tandem. We'll talk all about that. Um, But another thing that you can get along with that trifecta is Welcome to Dragon Talk. The amazing book that Shelly and I have been uh, very excited to go on so many podcasts within the community and talk about our our process, our writer process, our author process. And and our awesome community. And 
it's been really fun. It's just, yes. I really like getting to know all of these other podcasters and just great people in the community. It's just, it's been really fun. They're, yes. They've all been very gracious hosts and it's very much appreciated. For sure. It's like going on this little little tour has uh, given us an even greater appreciation of the D&D community. It has. It has yes. indeed. My heart has grown four sizes this day. Yes. It's barely, it's hard to like fit into your shirts. I can tell it's un, <laughs> it's unbuttoned a little more than it usually is. It's can't, true. It, can't stretch I'll, over my heart. It may have also something to do with the amount of food I consumed uh, at my anniversary dinner last well, night. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. And calories don't count when it's a celebration. I read that on a cocktail napkin somewhere. It's true. Uh, I, I did not count them, so they don't exist. They do not exist. If you don't recognize them, they're gone. Yeah. It's that old uh, old thing. If you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Like when a little kid closes their eyes because they're <laughs> trying to hide from you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Aw. Mm, really kids are cute. so dumb. I mean, cute. <laughs> <laughs> We're such good parents. Speaking of which, uh, I got to run some Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, tell me for about kids it. Tell me this about weekend. It. it was uh, super fun. They did some of the first encounters in the new starter set on Stormwreck Isle. And okay. Got to hang out with some Mykonids. It was cool. So, were they brand new to D&D? Mostly, yeah. They had created characters, and that's about it. And they, so, they did? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if, how well they did it, but they ended up making, um, I guess one of them used some of the pre-made characters just because they wanted to keep their the ones that they had made for this other campaign that's happening, um, which I think is just, you know, the kids rolling dice and playing together oh uh, during recess or whatever. Um, oh, so yeah, super fun. My heart. They did what they needed to do. We only played for about two hours, which was probably about 30 minutes longer than we should have played because... Yeah. Attention spans being what they are. Yeah. Our D&D club is going to be an hour and a half. That's And I think probably a good solid 20 minutes of that is just going to get them to sit down and focus. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I just realized something. I'm going to have to remember where we left off every week. And you know that is not my forte. (laughs) That is the hard part. It is. Uh, So if you do take any notes, I suggest that is the one note you take of like, what was just happening? And it doesn't need to be robust, but just put down a few words and usually that's enough for me to be like, oh, 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 right, 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 right. Oh, jeez. Okay, I'm getting really nervous about this. Um, We haven't opened registration for the, the club yet. But I have heard from a lot of people that are, have gotten word that this club is going to start, and they're like, hey, can you get my kid in to the D&D club? They're trying to get the back door, like, mm, can I, can Yes, I they in? are. And so maybe seven out of eight that of these people trying to sneak in that I've heard, they're girls. Nice. I know, That's Greg. great. I know. Yeah, you'll have the the the, the Dr. Ethan Schoonover uh, I know. effect all over again. How am I going to... I can't turn them down. Yeah, of course. Get them going. <sighs> we need more Dungeon Masters. But I do have some, like, three dads that volunteered to help out, which is great. You have My Three Dads? Isn't my that, Three that Dads. That was a sitcom, too. <laughs> my Three Sons. Paul Reiser is in it, I believe. What? Oh, by, I was thinking way, of my three sons. I, no, I was thinking my two dads. My um, two dads. 
Speaking of which, I know you and I talk a lot about being in a writer's room and how fun that might be. And when we always like want to grill people who have been in writer's rooms for sitcoms, the new show on Hulu, it's called Reboot. Okay. It's basically that. It's basically set most a of the writer's time. writer's room? In a writer's room, yeah. Uh, with a, a, a mother, uh, mother, a daughter and a father relationship also in it oh, as well. Oh, awesome. So check it. It's, it's, it's pretty will. funny. It's really good. It's got the guy, you know, uh, uh, Key and Peele, Michael Keegan K is in it, and Johnny Knoxville is in it, and good somehow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, 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 it's worth it. And okay. I, I think of you each time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, Shelly would love this. Oh, I would. I'm so excited. Thank you. Yeah. More Rachel TV. Bloom. Rachel Bloom is in it. Paul Reiser is in it. He's the father. It's, it's good. I, I'm still stuck on, was Paul Reiser really one of my two dads? Yeah. That was him, wasn't it? That was him. Wow. Yeah. Paul Reiser. And then he went on to Mad About You and Betraying Us and Aliens and uh, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that was okay. a walk down uh, TV recommendation lane. There we go. And now we are going into Herman's head of, or <laughs> Rob Dabio and Wes Schneider's head. <laughs> Everyone, let's welcome Rob Dabio and Wes Schneider to Dragon Talk. Yay! 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 Oh my God! Woo! We're bringing the energy so you don't have to. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what happened there. Like, he took one breath. I'm like, is he doing this whole show in one breath? Because that's yes. where I thought you were going. <laughs> yes, we are going to. Look at that giant cup of coffee he has. He yeah, like could- all you West Coast people are like, Ooh. <laughs> East Coast. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Stay hydrated. Keeping it, keeping it going. Yes, mm. this is. So we have both of you here to talk about uh, Dragonlance in general, but also uh, more specifically, Wes, you were the lead on the Shadow of the Dragon Queen adventure book, and Rob Davio along with uh, Steve Baker. Steve Baker. I was going to say uh, the Keith, which is not the right Baker. No, <laughs> different Baker altogether. Um, cooked up. Uh, nice. Uh, Baked uh, up. Warriors of Kryn. Yeah, we did. Made a little game. Yeah, a about like a year game. ago. So you're trying to remember how it all came no, together. No, I uh, we uh, I did a refresher last month, so I'm I'm fresh. Sweet. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about the play in, in back and forth between these two. We've talked about that a little bit with press, but never with folks who are listening here on Dragon Talk. So, Wes, why don't you give us like what's what's the shtick uh, with Dragonlance between uh, the RPG and the board game? Well, uh, so folks who are familiar with our big D&D adventures will find that with Shadow of the Dragon Queen, they are getting a big D&D adventure. So if they just have the book and just want to play a big D&D adventure, they can absolutely do that. However, uh, we tried something of an experiment with this one. Uh, you know, I almost said a little experiment, but uh, actually really, really giant experiment. It's huge. Uh, with, it's yeah, nice I, oh, yeah. Look at He's that. got the yeah. box here. It is huge for Warriors yeah. of Kryn. Like, you do not get the scale in most of the pictures. It's like, this is not a little box. Like, you can see it. Like, it's it's... It's torso size, like <laughs> <laughs> like adult torso size, yeah, not, full, not yeah. an infant, perfectly square, like most of them. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody's very fit after the pandemic. Um, so 
What we did is that with Rob Davio and Steve Baker, uh, they put together a fantastic board game so called Dragonlance Warriors of Kryn. And again, while the two products can be run separately, they're two great tastes that work, that taste great together. Um, yeah. So as you're playing the adventure, there are parts in the adventure where there are these massive battles uh, the the entire Dragonlance setting is so much about these war stories uh, taking place during the War of the Lance. So as elements come up where you might engage in a battle, the adventure points you towards Warriors of Kryn and says, if you have this, if you want to play this as part of your game, you can see how the battle unfolds, play this scenario or that scenario, do this or that thing at this time, and then it unfolds there at your game table before handing you gently back to the RPG experience. Gently, I like gently. That. It's yeah. That was our, uh, we kept saying. How do we gently hand people back? There was a lot of attempts, a lot of iterations. So. Absolutely. Okay, so while you're playing the TRPG version, this beauty beauty book, mm-hmm. you will be. This is the alt cover. Mm-hmm. Cool, right? Lord Soth. Uh, yes. Um, then you can be. Uh, <laughs> you can. Stop what you're doing. Go off and reenact what just happened in your TRPG game in this board not, game. You're not reenacting. Not reenacting, but you're, see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah so the, there'll be a big battle, and the characters will show up in the role-playing game in a very big battle. And so you can either, and there's, I was reading the uh, the book. There's real cool ways that the characters can just stay within the role-playing game. But let's say it's the end of a session, you know, your DM likes the cliffhangers and says, and the battle starts. And then when you come back next week, you could just pick it up there, or you can have this the scenario from the board game all set up. Like, here's the battle you're in. That is you, so cool. You leave your character sheets to the side. You now have a hand of cards representing your characters. And you get a little briefing of the mission. The, the characters that you were playing with in role-playing game, like the commanders and the leaders, you're in the command tank going, here's the situation. Things are dire. This is what we need you to do. And then you have 12 different scenarios and like you go out and you try to be the heroes who do the cool thing during the battle i love that the battle's bigger than you you're not commanding the battle you're not wheeling troops or leading troops the battle's happening around you and you're trying to run around and take out war engines and bring people to safety in one scenario or extract a spy in a different one. It's not big spoilers to say these in a vague way. It's like, we need you to get that spy behind enemy lines. You and only you, you're a strike force. But meanwhile, you're babysitting the lines because Wes is kind of a jerk and he set it up that the dragon armies are really powerful. Oh, Wes. And so they're they're basically going to win every battle unless you are also in addition, like, we got to get the spy, but the left flank is weakening. Hold on. Maybe I can go ask the people in this little village in the middle, if I can borrow something and you draw until you get an item that will help you, like, thank oh, you. Cool. You might find a disguise that lets you, like, go across, like, past people, you know, to get behind the lines of battle without needing a check or something like that. That's so cool. What I love about and this, then, too, is that it kind of, it follows the the promise for me of of reading Lord of the Rings and being, like, swept up in these grand, huge things when I was a kid, reading fantasy novels, and then getting to the role-playing game, which I love D&D, but there, there isn't so much a scale involved with going down into a dungeon and, and fighting you know, individual squad-based things. But this allows you to have the best of both worlds, being able to play both of these while also having this huge backdrop of, 
of these massive battles happening behind you, which to me was the promise of, of D&D when I was a kid. Be like, oh yeah, I get to be, you know, Eowyn during the, the Battle of the Pel- Pelennor Fields. And that's really what you, we wanted you to uh, feel here. And in fact, we would often talk about uh, the Return of the King, Steve and I, when we were designing it. For example, without doing a full rules explanation, there is one flank at a time on the battlefield where the action is taking place. There's little markers like that you flip, like, okay, the left flank's active. Now the far right's active way over here. And they just keep flipping up and down. So you're not babysitting. If you had like from the far left to the far right flank, you'd have five flanks to take care of. You start with fewer. You're not trying to manage all five at once. It's like this one, then this one, then this one. We always talk about, and then Peter Jackson takes the camera and cuts it back over heel with a Rohirrim riding down and it stays there for It's like, now back to Pelennor Fields. Now let's look at Gandalf over here. Mm. And so even if the right flank, you're like, okay, the right flank is inactive, but it's going to be in trouble when it becomes active again. Do we want to get over now and kind of shore it up, put some barricades down, get, the, get some troops refreshed, or do we want to react right when... You know, the camera moves there. So there was a lot of Lord of the Rings uh, references the beyond thinking. just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. I know what was it like when you guys were uh, conceiving this, right? Because I think this is a hard uh, nut to crack, right? So what, what were like some of the preliminary conversations when uh, Rob, you and Wes got together with, uh, with, with the designers and everybody, the whole team, and like talked about it? I think we had a head start, Steve and I. Like, it was the type of thing that was on Wizards' docket to start on, but they correctly realized that, like, D&D, the system exists, so now they're writing content, and we need to come up with a system that felt like D&D and worked with D&D. So we, Steve and I, spent maybe close to a year, off and on, nine months, coming up with lots of bad games, like, too detailed, (laughs) like... Here is a seven-hour game where you're like, okay, this spearman's going to go over here, and we're going to put this troop in formation, and very complicated battle resolution. And um, we just kept streamlining it, streamlining it, until we felt like, okay, this is the game that we felt we were close. We weren't by any means done. You trick yourself into thinking you're almost done, and then it gets better. Hmm. And then right around that time, I think, Wes, you and your team were starting up on the actual story and plot. Yeah. No, that sounds about right. I mean, and, and one of the really interesting elements about this is that it was important to everybody from very early on that this feels like Dungeons and Dragons. This is not, you know, like we didn't want to have players sign up to engage in type of media A and then trick them into. <laughs> media b this is not the movie where halfway through you have to read a novel Mm -hmm. like so part of the element of this was like all right we want to shift from a role-playing game experience to a a board game experience that still at its heart at its heart feels like dungeons and dragons so even when we're talking about troops or positioning or battlefields and all of these elements I don't want people to think that this is a game that's like, you know, just like Axis and Allies or or it's like Risk or it's like Warhammer. It's not like any of those games. It's a strategy game where as it's transpiring, 
characters are moving through these battlefields and around the peripheral, uh, the periphery of them, and they're making the decisions and they're doing the like deep strike actions and they're doing all of the big heroic things that have the potential to turn the tide of battle. And that's something I haven't seen before. And it's really exciting. And Rob and Steven did an incredible job, not just making a game, but making a game that at its heart feels like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Oh, so shucks. I, oh, I know. Oh, that's really sweet. A little small tear drops. I mean, I've um, made oh, no geez. secret that I'm a big D and D fan, and I got into this here. It's like right, this is how close it is. I got into my job and in industry because like this, right? The first edition is like <laughs> right there. Like it just happened to be under the fifth edition, which is why it took me two seconds to get it, <laughs> as opposed to one. I love that cover uh, of the old Dungeon Master's Guide with the uh, with the red guy. Is that is that Moloch? He's a, a freak from outside the city of Brass, Greg. A freak. All right. Well, thank you. That's why wow. I wanted you to. <laughs> that was me setting he it for you so you, you could spike yes. it down. <laughs> to establish yourself yeah. as but, yeah, a but D&D expert. Send me to the supermarket for three things, and I'll sit there going, oh, there was a third thing, but that's in there. But yeah, it's locked <laughs> that's forever. It's locked solid. <laughs> it's an Ifrit, um, and he pushes up his, his uh, glasses. Yeah, I. I know uh, how D&D feels for me to play, and we were keen on trying to get the game to feel like D&D. &D &D. Whether, but I mean, I think part of the reason Wizards reached out to me is my career is trying to make games that feel like the game. Like mm -hmm. I worked at Hasbro for a long time, and it's like, make a game that feels like, like that's what licensing is. Make a Clue Harry Potter game that feels like Clue and feels like Hogwarts. So I have a lot of experience in games where it's like, oh, this mm -hmm. has to have a feel. I can't just make a game. And then so we put a lot of time into like, no, this feels more like a war game. No, this feels too much like a role-playing game. No, this this is too close to D&D, &D, so it's confusing because the rules are just different enough that you are taking too much over. Like, where do you abstract and where do you mm. go? Away? Yeah, it was a big deal when I got on with the core D&D team and explained why we weren't using a 20-sider after a year of using a 20-sider. So there's what? No 20, there's why? no 20-sider. What's, what's the reasoning? Um, you roll <laughs> dice less often. Okay. And D&Ds have, D &D, the 20-siders have a high variance, 1 to 20. It's, you know, 5% yeah. of each of them. And we wanted to do a dice pool to get a bell curve, like when you roll 3D6 for attributes. And, be, and but you don't roll dice as much, so getting like four bad rolls on a d20 was going to greatly influence the game and put too much in the luck of the dice rather than uh, the game itself. So because there were fewer rolls and we wanted to be in the center of the bell curve, we went to a dice pool system and we went to smaller faces, so we kind of based it off that. See, I knew there would be a good answer to that because I've spent a lot of time with Rob listening to him talk about board games with our Avalon Hill history. And some of my most favorite meetings ever have been listening to Rob just, I'm just going to go into idea zone and it's like, what is happening here? <laughs> it's fascinating. Thank like you. the way uh, a just, game designer brain works, fascinating. I was going to ask you wouldn't want to live in it though. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just and I was like, where did I learn bell curves? And then I'm like, oh yeah, when I was 12 at the beginning mm. of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Oh, see, D &D's there's the bell curve right there. There it is. That's the first time where I'm like, why don't you roll a 20-sider for your abilities and just ignore ones, twos, and 19s and 20s? And then I read that. I'm like, oh, that's why. That's why. See, see? it taught you. It um, little 12-year-old me. 
Speaking of your of your experience at Hasbro and making uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, when you're describing uh, the, uh, this game, Warriors of Kryn, it's like, okay, you kind of took that idea of a cooperative game of people getting together and exploring, uh, uh, a, a, a in that case, a haunted mansion, but instead it's a group of characters coming together and trying to do objectives on a battlefield. Like, that seems... Uh, Almost more like a more a better comparison than like the risk and the axis and allies that you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean that's what we really were we we're kind of honing in on it. And then when we started talking to the the West and the Dragonlands team and talking about you st- you start having some very top level story ideas, right? When people were talking about Lord of the Rings, Rogue One, Band of Brothers, like this thing where there's a big war and then there's a small group of people who are, you know, the suicide squad or whatever it was, which is you can't win this big thing, mm. but you kind of can if you do this little thing. And you that's when we realized, I also had this uh, image of the, the he said, welcome to my game design brain, Shelly. Like, the uh, rookie <laughs> quarterback at the football game. And I've seen some movies like that where that you see it from their point of view and everything is so fast, mm-hmm. right? The ball gets snapped and you're playing. Everything's up a speed and people are moving and people are coming in from the, and you can't possibly process this. And then you just do it and you start to gain mastery over it. And that was often in my head when you sit down for, and this is not learning the rules if we did our job right, but you sit down in scenario one and you're like, how can we possibly be good at stopping all of these fires and including literally sometimes you have to put out fires like this this battle is so big and our abilities are so limited and then by the time you get to the last scenario and it is a big complicated battle but you've played 11 you're like sit down all right we got this you over there you over there like it really does have that arc so i like that Mm -hmm. yeah i've seen it referenced as an abstract battle game well i i never make abstract games what we did is we we pulled the camera back right so D goes down to rounds and and act you know like turns and actions and free actions and stuff like that but you can't be that granular when you're trying to show a giant spectacle so some things got pulled back into just what happens over here and it okay. gets simplified and so for example there are these evil NPCs on the board or, or sort of anti-heroes. Like if you're heroes on the board, there are draconians and ogres and goblins, which are not on the battlefield, but sort of patrolling around like you are in between, like little skirmishing troops. You might want to defeat them in battle. We're not going to have you do six rounds of battle on your turn back and forth. I'm rolling a die. You're rolling a die. You're doing hit points. You just roll one set of dice and you either defeat them or you don't. And maybe you take some stress, which is kind of like losing health, losing hit points in D&D, or you don't. Yeah. We just, so we just, and that's what I meant when I abstract the battle. At the beginning, we had a lot of things where it's like, this line goes, and then that, and then they call for a retreat. And then this, because this line won, they get momentum on that line, which if you're doing a war game, that's exactly what you would do. You would like have the camera real close on the intricacies of how that battle's resolved. And ultimately, we sort of, they just sort of abstracted that or simplified that like combat to just say, there's a battle over here. The archers attack each other. This side got the hits. They did too, right? Like, so it it just sort of reduces it down to a very simple system because we want the we want the fun to be the characters and the heroes running around doing cool D D things. Yeah. 
not stopping for 20 minutes to resolve the left flank as it sort of resolves this wedge shape and if it's going to break the charge of the shield wall and stuff. Like, there, there are plenty of good games that do that, but that's all it's about. Yeah. And right. we couldn't have this be all about that. So that's why I was like, the battle is happening around you and it's a little sort of bigger than you can handle. So it just gets resolved very quickly. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and of course, I mean, you are a D&D player as well, right? So like, I remember when we were doing- Playing tonight. I was right. I was gonna say like the press uh, thing that we had scheduled for Wednesday night. You're like, well, I can't because I have my my D and D game. Ah, right dedication. Like, oh, that's so tough. I canceled it for a press event. Yeah, right. D and D, the brand, Trump D and D, the experience <laughs> for one night. <laughs> Just for one night. Yeah. Uh, so, what are you excited about uh, for the campaign for Shadow of the Dragon Queen? What Wes and the team have been putting together? Uh, what, what, what? Yeah. How, how are how are what you? What am I excited about? Or yeah, what is right. As Wes a player, like he knows it. At this point, I've worked on games. You're probably excited about very little. Like in the moment <laughs> when you're working on it. No, no. I always say when I hate a game, I know it's almost done. That's like my thing. When I'm like, oh. I can't look at this. I cannot look at this one more time. It's just words and bloops, and nothing makes sense anymore. And then it goes away for six months, and you get like a box. You're like, oh, this is cool. That's true of parenting too. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. I like these conversations with another designer where they can speak your truth for you, and then yeah. come out of your mouth. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to have you say that on the D and D podcast, but I'm the right? gunslinger, the lone. Which is why I was asked you, Rob, like what you're excited about Wes's work, because I know you've been, you know, not necessarily as involved in the design of of, of Shadow of the Dragon Queen, but as a player, you might want to get into it. Like, what, what, uh, were you a Dragonlance fan at all? And like, you know, maybe we'll transition more into Wes being able to talk, but I want, I want to hear from. from oh, you, I will Rob. steal all the oxygen in the room. Sorry, Wes. <laughs> um, it's a known bug or feature. Um, yeah, I just whatever reason last night I was doing something and I went downstairs and I saw I still have all my first edition stuff like on a shelf. I'm like, how many, I knew I was doing the same, like how many Dragonlance modules do I have? And of course they're not sorted or organized in any way, but I, I think all like 12, <laughs> oh there were 14, maybe 15. I might, I have 11 or 12 and I might've had some others kicking around. I haven't played most of them because when they came out, I read the books and I definitely played the first two, but I was getting to that age where, you know what? People are going to start driving cars and going on dates. And it was that end of the early 80s D&D fad where everyone played it in middle school. Like, And and so I was like, we're, we're not playing. Okay, we're not playing. More. But I still got them and would read them. Hmm. And I had forgotten that DL5, here's a deep cut because I noticed it last night, it's not actually an adventure, just a source book. It was like, here's four adventures. And then five is like, here's an interlude. And you get a little, like a Wikipedia entry on um on Dragonlance and it picks up in six. Oh, that's fascinating. Um so I did read the the original trilogy was very formative to me in terms of interesting and different you know storytelling. And then uh boy three of you probably know this more than I do, but like it was an interesting pivot into TSR's approach to module design away from you know here's a dungeon crawl to some of the work that they were doing in the I series where they were more interesting things like the Pharaoh series, which was, that was Hickman, wasn't it? Tracy Hickman and stuff. And then teaming up with Margaret to do Dragonlance and the idea now that your characters had object permanence in a way, which sort of took them out of being able to die, but you couldn't, but like, how do you do that without reducing 
tension in the narrative. This is why I grew up to be a game designer. Because I, yep. yeah. I was thinking this <laughs> you were at thinking 14. about all this when you were in, in high school. 12 years yeah. old. <laughs> well, I mean, mentioning that old DL series, I mean, that's where we took a lot of inspiration, not just for the adventure and the board game, but for deciding to go back to Dragonlance. Because Dragonlance has always been D&D setting for war. Those old stories tell this, like, massive war story. And, like... Getting into that, the later portion of that series, there are, there's at least one of those DL modules, which is just like, all right, and we're doing war now. So let us explain how to do a D&D war game. And that's baked into the D, the DNA of this setting. So it felt very natural to us, whereas when we were taking so much inspiration from the old RPG products, from the old adventures, for revisiting the setting, that it's like, Dragonlance has always done war. It has always had these mass combats. Let's express that for 5th edition. Yeah, yeah. And it makes the stakes so much higher, right? Because you'll be able to to uh, see the characters that are being subjected to the, the horrors of war and being able to change that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so I, yeah. Scary slash sad, as you were saying that, I go, oh, yeah, that was DL8. And then I just, oh, wow. like, yeah, no, it was DL8, Dragons of War, right. where you open up the module and like little cardboard chits follow, and there's a war game. And that that's you where your love of creating board games with lots of different pieces began. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. Give me, car- give me those cardboard chips. Give me those tokens. <laughs> this has shiny miniatures. <laughs> it's so much and better. And some tokens. Totally. So I'm curious how, like, as, as Wes was developing the plot and the story, and you and Steven were out there developing the mechanics of the game, like, how, what? how did you work together like how how how'd you know what scenarios to turn into battles how did this how'd this all happen i nagged west relentlessly because nice. uh, not only did we <laughs> not only did we start earlier because a board game takes longer to produce it's not one book it's got cardboard and miniatures and tools and it's harder to ship we had to be done first now so there were things that we needed probably correct where west like uh we will have that in like two months, I'm like, we need it Thursday. Right? Like it's a type of thing. <laughs> so that changed um, your timeline a lot then, Wes, right? Like how did that? Oh, I mean, oh, I've already started this poorly. Um, <laughs> uh, it was fine. It was good. It was a delight to work with Mr. Davio. Um, <laughs> no, it, it was really interesting because it was so much different than um, the way that we generally build a project like this, because there were certain beats in the course of it where, you know, generally when you're putting together an adventure like this, you build an outline and it's like, okay, and and you will go, you will go to the creepy swamp and at some point you will, you know, fight a Tarrasque and over here you'll find this uh, relic and somehow that will be uh, roughly 200 pages and we'll fill out the details as we get into the writings but the, the outlines are generally here's a few beats and then as you start working on it as you get your team together as folks get writing the nuances fill out for this though um Absolutely. Like Rob said, they very early on needed to know, like, okay, we need to, we're doing a battle game. Tell us about, like, at least one of the first big battles. So from very early on, we knew that with the first part of the adventure, 
all right, you're going to be in this little town. The town is going to get invaded. There will be a battle there. And that was something that almost on day one, it was just like, well, we don't know the specifics of that, but we're going to sort of create a battle and then have the adventure build around that. But fortunately, both by, you know, just getting into it and building out the adventure, but just through a lot of back and forth and being in pretty regular conversation with Rob and Steven, it's like, all right, you guys want these elements. We can do that. All right. You want to see something that spreads fire? Sure. We can have (laughs) fire throwing element in there. Why not? Um, And then it just sort of cascaded from there. Yeah. And there were a couple things that we didn't need until they filled in. Like there is a character you meet early on at that town that's being invaded who turned out to be the mayor. But I was looking, I do believe that the cards we turned over to wizards to start doing files just said Vogler leader. Yeah. Right. Like that was it. Like we still didn't know whether they were the mayor or the head of a guild or what we didn't know the name. And we're like, we, we just, we're letting you know when you come up with that, which is before we go to print, but we don't need it. That's the name that we're all going to put in here. Um, and so what cool. happened was that Stephen and I were were designing the game. We were just coming up with mock battles. And what if it's four flanks? What if it's two? What if it's, I keep going to this, like recover the spy or something like that. And then, so when we started talking to Wes, there were a couple of things that shook out. There are 12 scenarios in the board game. And this may have changed in the final book. So correct me if I've gone wrong here. There are six of them that are kind of, tent poles. But if you do an act one, act two, act three, so there's two in act one, two in act two, and two in act three that really tie closely to the story. And then each one has two that the DM can drop in if they like change a little bit. They're a little more vague. So depending on what the characters are doing in between, the DM can be like, oh, hey, I'm going to try to get the group to go over here so I can do this cool scenario. But if you miss it, it's no big deal. So what happened was we only needed six tent poles. And really, we only needed Act 1s. Okay, so tell us the two in Act 1, and we'll kind of do that with the low-level characters. And then then we'll start making noises about Act 2. And what we did is we took our prototype ones that we had done, and we filled those in as the, like the alternate ones. So they were sort of done in between. And then, and then they get kind of wacky as you go up to higher levels, because that's just kind of, that's kind <laughs> of fun to do. Yeah. Well, what it's also meant is that there's sort of two parallel stories being told here. Like, while these are two games that work excellently together, were you to run them separately, you would get moments of intersection at the places where that are like the most climactic battles for like the um, the adventure and, and whatnot. But... There's also so much else going on where it's just like, okay, and over here there's this battle or over here there's this other story. And like Rob said, if you really get into the board game and you want to include those in your adventure, that is completely your option because um, it's it's all happening in the same world, the same region, the same characters are involved, so on and so forth. But if you want to play them separately, you get two slightly different stories, which is really interesting because it's so much about perspectives of war. We aren't just talking about one or two battles. We're talking about an entire theater of war here. So you get a sense of this grand scale and the magnitude of this story just by getting these different glimpses. What I like about the two of you talking about working together, though, too, is it feels almost more 
I mean, <clears throat> all, all art like this is collaborative, but the fact that there were these two parallel projects going on that you could be inspired and or the limitations of one were actually informing the creation of th things for the other. And it almost feels like this symbiosis of, of, of game design, which is pretty rare. Like you don't necessarily, I mean, there are things that are leaping off points and then you have sequels and expansions and things like that. But these are two things that were developed in tandem. Um, and I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that in game design before. Yeah, it it sounded just bizarre enough that I like. Well, I got to try that because yeah. I don't know how that's. And <laughs> that's... I remember at the beginning going, "This is all fun now," but when it's those last three months, it's not going to be quite as uh, fun. It was still entertaining, but it was a lot of. Do we have a name for this yet? No. And then like there's <laughs> stuff like, I would say like, so there's commanders on the battlefield, and there's the narrative that's going, and we didn't have like a tight outline of everything that was going chapter by chapter. So I would just like we had sort of just like these broad brushstrokes, which is. Most of the time, all we needed. And then I would be like, we're thinking of putting this commander on this battlefield in scenario nine. And then Wes would be like, there's a chance the characters have killed that person sometime <laughs> before then. So best we leave that person out of anything after about this scenario in case the PCs went and did like this whole thing. Uh. And destroyed him. Like, okay, great. So this person is now off limits, like as a narrative point. That's a hard thing to track. Oh my god. I was just thinking, I feel bad for the <laughs> editors, like how to edit both of the the book, the the board game, and I just feel bad yeah. for your brains that have to keep track of everything. Wes, yeah, were there any moments where Rob asked a question and you were like, the name of the character is Bob? Uh, just, just go with that. Just stick together. Like, you know, know. Were, were there impro improvisational moments like that where you were kind of forced to make decisions and then stick with it? Ah! <laughs> He's holding up a picture of a, yeah. a book called People's Names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but also yes. <laughs> um, like Rob very rarely ambushed me. It was like name a character this moment. It's like ah, <laughs> uh, it's my cat's name. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, there were several points where it's like, all right, you need it now. And definitely that like having a name for this character is one of the 3000 things that needs to happen to, before this project gets out there. So I guess it's first priority. Uh, so coming up with those things and being flexible, but also, you know, one of the elements of this is when there is a need, when it's a matter of keeping a plate spinning for another designer, sure, absolutely, let's prioritize that, let's get you what you need. But also there are certain times where it's like, mm, you know what, hold on a minute, we've got somebody else jamming on that, uh, we'll have it to you soon. I mean, one of the lovely things about this is I think both of us are sympathetic to the process and the works and the differences and how we make our distinctive things. Um, and respect that so it's like we've been pretty e like it's been pretty easy to work through the elements of this process creatively now it's a lot of moving parts but ultimately i think it came together really nicely and what it also opened the door for were when there were certain things where it's like you know that's not a priority for us Rob, Stephen, take the lead on this. Do something cool. Uh. Then when we see that there were great 
places where we could be like, you know, you've introduced a villain here or an enemy commander. They will show up in the adventure, but not till way later. But by just seeing them across the battlefield, like sessions and sessions earlier, and then having that aha moment later when it's like, oh, you're the dude that like was lighting all of those fires or that brought the dragons down on us. And now we get to hit you in the face in the RPG. Beautiful moments. So I'm really interested in seeing how folks like take, build the narratives with the two together. I am very excited to read. I'll find someone who's, you know, uh, sort of blogging their experience and seeing the characters. And that was wonderful because sometimes we'd be like, do you have this? And Wes would be like, now just make something up and we'll either run with what you have or we'll tweak it to make it work for us or we'll push back if it's wildly off. And I'm like, yes, I'm making the D&D. <laughs> like it was great. And I, I, did a, I did an advanced, uh, what, I don't want to call it a corporate trick, but t- like scheduling trick with, with Wes, not maliciously. And I'd ask you for something like, we probably need these names for these characters. And it was the type of thing you're like, I'll get to it. And then like I just sent a gentle reminder like do you have those names and you're like oh i'm gonna get to it so i was like sitting watching football or something so i'm like i'm gonna name all of them and i knew two things would happen either and i said to wes i'm like i just took a stab at some names can we use these for now and two things would happen i'd either get some D names into an official product which i did or you would go hold up no those are not the right names <laughs> if i don't do this now then rob and c we're just going to make up names and that's going to cause a mess because we're going to have to change it later and you changed them all and then they became like the locked in names so that is nicely a done genius trick no right? that's criminal don't hurt <laughs> <laughs> um, here's also, some football players names you can have those be in the rpg or not it's your choice my, commander can be called tom brady or you can and, give it was me a fine different because name. like i don't yeah it's up to you it's up to you this Rob. one's named giselle yeah. no reason <laughs> yeah brom tady uh brom no also, you know rob understands that nothing happens without a deadline so I it mean, was the type of thing where i really didn't expect you to like any of them, I'm like, I don't know Dragonlance naming conventions. I don't have all of like <laughs> this encyclopedia. I don't know what the characters are named like. I'm just going to be like, what sounds like an orc? I'm like, I don't know, V's and X's and uh, put an A in there or something like that. Like, maybe. <laughs> Nothing, because there's no orcs in Dragonlance. I'd say, there we go. It's a trick question. It's an E3 to you guys. <laughs> I got one name through. I think it was just one. It might have been two, but there was one name. Can like, we know what it is? Because I feel like I, I really need to cheer for this. Do you remember what it was, Wes? No clue. Uh-uh. Tatina Rickledust. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That one's fun. She's <laughs> inspired by what no, football she's player? A she's a gnome. I said, what's the gnomist name I can oh. think of? And I came with Tatina or Tatiana. I think it's Tatina Rickledust. Rickledust. Yeah. Just seem like gnomish. It. It, it is. It does. In fact, in fact, I think she's in the adventure now. Yeah, I think so. I don't, yeah. So, well done. Yeah. yeah so you, you snuck one in. I'm now retired. That was yep. my last thing on <laughs> my list. That that's the bucket list. And a character Board named in a D&D adventure. Bucket list. That's a good well, one. What I like, what I like about what, what you're saying, Wes, too, is like this. Th- a lot of people think that uh, you know, designing a book like this is one person typing away and just writing it from the beginning to the end. Right? <laughs> there are people who are like, oh, yeah, they wrote this book. That's it. Right? And then what you're what, uh, what the you're just the, the sole creator. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Heard that before. Right. 
But in many ways, you are the, 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 the project manager. Like, you have to be able to manage all of those, which is hard enough with an RPG book alone and all the freelancers and, and art direction and all the thing that goes into it. But then adding in a completely <laughs> other product that was also in the same design pipeline timeline is just, you know, another testament to being able to project manage all of that all at the same time. Well, I mean, the, this is something where it's like, Short answer, yes, very much a lot, but also very much worth it. But this is also an element where it's like we do have an incredible team on all of this. And even though uh, Rob and myself are here talking about this, like the support that we get from the whole studio, all of our producers, all of the writers on this, and also like it's particularly worth calling out Um Ray Winninger and Steve Scott were two folks who were on the team at the time who put an incredible amount of investment in this, coming up with some of the early ideas about, like, let's do a war story. Let's explore this in these ways. And Steve, in particular, for a long time, was very much liaising with Rob and Steven and putting together the early strokes of this so I could be doing a lot of the preliminary work with a ton of incredible uh, writers on this to put together a story that felt like a worthy return of fifth edition to the Dragonlance setting. Uh, so an incredible number of folks were involved in this. And you're absolutely right. There was a lot of moving parts, a lot of syncing, a lot of weekly meetings and so on and so forth. But uh, I believe we had two producers on this, two producer rather yep. than one. Like this is oh, a project sure. where we had two producers and yeah, weekly meetings. I like to say having a front row seat for our D&D adventure comes together. Wes, you're a saint to actually do this. And I don't know whether you drew the short straw or signed up to do this with like, a board game attachment. Because as far I as his perspective tell, changed from the beginning to the end on that. Yeah, I, he spent maybe <laughs> minimum 70 hours a week writing briefs to people like me and other writers and going to meetings and writing briefs at meetings and things like that and just trying to gather all of these ideas together into Ugh. one one coherent package right because i mean you think about film directors like the, it, the the way you're describing it this seems very similar right you'd have the different departments that would have to liaise to the director the director is the ultimate and i've been in situations yeah. in theater and things like that where people are like i just need to know what color the tablecloth is can you tell me and they're like <laughs> i i don't know uh, you know it's, a, <laughs> it's blue no it's green i don't know right and so like there is that level of you just someone just needs to be the decider but then also like everybody is working towards the same thing and then for me talking about this like it's hard enough with one product the the rpg but then having like this parallel thing it's like directing a film while also uh writing a book about it at the same time with having everybody's uh creating two mediums that are supposed to work together in tandem is a very difficult task so i just wanted to kind of highlight that because it is there is this idea of there being the auteur that is just making everything but it's not it's more about how do you manage the auteurs who are making it all happen to comes so, to one and at our end it was Steve and me, but we had two developers, Noah Cohen and Brian Neff, who've also worked Aww. on some. But, the dream games. team is back the together. Dream team, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were meeting, in addition to the meetings with Wizards and all that, we were meeting Steve and I once a week, or, and then all four of us twice a week, and we were playing in tabletops and there. And then I was carrying around to friends' houses and people and playtesting. So they were like, some of my friends played that 
first scenario like 18 times. They're like, I am, <laughs> I don't want to save this town anymore. <laughs> just let it burn. This like, no, sucks. this time it's more fun. They're like, you said that last time. I honestly, I just have this vision of like Rob and like his giant board game prototype coming up somebody's front porch and they're like, just turn off the lights. Just turn off the lights. We oh, can't. that's how I feel we every can't, time. We, we can't well, no, do I, it again. No, I show up with my giant <laughs> prototype, a pizza and a bottle of wine. Okay. Like, you know, you have to incentivize in. people. Yeah. There you go. And, it takes uh, a village. It takes a village yeah. to make a board It takes game. bribes. And bribes. <laughs> lots and yes. lots of pizza bribes. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, after all this monumental task, uh, Wes, what, do you, what are you, like, we're getting to the point now where people are going to be starting to play and, and kind of really interact for the first time. What are you, what are you excited about uh, uh, hearing from folks? Oh, boy. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a couple of different things in this. Um, one of the first thing that comes to mind and, and sort of riffing off of the idea that, like, you've always got you're always juggling a lot with projects like these is like, yes, and you're always juggling multiple projects. So one of the things that uh, was happening with this was I started working on Dragonlance when I was still working on Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Oh my so gosh. I remember back then, a number of folks were like, are we going to see Lord Sloth? Yes. We <laughs> just not in Ravenloft. Because we've got other plans for him. Uh, so that's one of the exciting elements of this. Is like so a lot of folks who were very jazzed to see Lord Soth somewhere and who didn't see him in Ravenloft now finally get there, uh, get to face D&D's archetypical uh, Death Knight. And very much, and you'll see in our credits, we uh, reference a ton of the incredible creatives who worked on earlier editions of Dragonlance, but also snuck in there is a reference to uh, the designers of a Ravenloft adventure called When Black Roses Bloom that is all about Lord Soth. And so there's definitely some Ravenloft inspiration that sneaks into the the uh, last creepy, um, creepy dungeon of this. So I'm super excited for folks to check that out. Um, one of the other elements is an experiment that we put together for this, which is Dragonlance has just a ton of lore to it with, all right, what's the stories behind Draconians? Okay, the gods have this unusual arrangement um, compared to the deities of other D&D worlds, or the mages of high sorcery are this whole organization for magic users. How does that work? We didn't want to go to players and be like, all right, and here's 40 years of lore, do your reading, and then we can play this adventure. <laughs> Instead, we set those up as a number of preludes where they're meant to be short, one-off encounters, probably for a subset of the group. You could play all of them, but the idea is if you just want to play one with the wizard or you just want to play one with your divine casters... You can do that, but the idea behind them is that through play, somebody who's interacting with some of the more unusual elements of the world learns about it 
in a way that feels natural to their character, and then they become the expert on what the what's happening with that, with the unusual element, instead of just a DM being like, all right, in this setting, this happens, and this is different, and you need to know this. So I'm really interested in seeing how folks like that, how they work for folks, and if it makes them feel like their characters are more a part of the world. That's amazing. I love that, because that does feel like it harkens back to the Chronicles series where most of the, those heroes didn't know anything about the mages of high sorcery or how it all worked. And they got to find out about that through, through Raceland and through those, that character there. So that's, that's really cool. I love that. Um, Rob, what about you? What I, I think, if, you know, having gone through this project and, and, and have it all like almost at the, at the finish line here, what are you yeah. excited about? Um, it's, it's always that sort of like got your kid, dressed up and you hope they have their first you know good first day of school like it's the like mm-hmm. i like it i think it's good right but i like i want to see those first reviews and the first things and have people get excited about it. it's just exciting to know that somewhere oh uh, like in a month ish three or four weeks i forget exactly there's gonna be a group of people sitting down to play this thing that i worked on for a year and a half <laughs> like that's just it, that the thrill of that never goes away so that's i'm just cool. excited to have it out there also um i'm really excited to see because if you're a dm and you're listening yes you can take this and make your own scenarios once you play a couple pretty pretty easy you could be like oh you know what i'm gonna take these tiles and here's the victory condition and here's the event cards that i'm gonna put in the deck and here's thing you know you won't get to be able to play test it dozens of times before that scenario goes out but you can absolutely sort of kit bash this thing to make whatever sort of scenarios like you want for your players. And that's, that's cool. Inspiring creativity. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I don't know, Wes, you just look, did you just get inspired by that? I just feel like. Well, you know, it, it's <laughs> funny. And it, it's something that I need to ambush uh, Stephen Baker at, at some moment uh, because I held back my fanboying for over a year. But like before I ever DM Dungeons and Dragons, I had Hero Quest. And I had a pad of graph paper that I just filled with more and more hero quest uh, dungeons of my own design. Um, And it wasn't until like years later that it's like, oh, there's a game where you can just do that. Oh, (laughs) Um, but uh, that as we were putting together Warriors of Crin, so much of the conversation was just like, and you can just take this and you can make your own things with it. And every time I was thinking about it, it's like, that's how I got into doing this. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how folks kit bash this, do their own thing with it, use it as their own new tool set and what comes of it. Yeah. And I will also note if uh, you it works, it works pretty much in any D&D setting. I mean, the characters, the um, sorry, the commanders that are on the battlefields are all named after the Dragonlance people, but there's no reason it wouldn't work in a homebrew yeah. campaign as well. I can see people creating stickers. You, yeah. You don't have to wait for Wes to tell you the name of something. You can just yeah. name it. Yeah. Right. Well, if you do have to wait, just give him names and then he'll... Please, tell you please just make up your names. People's names, volume two. I put all the good already. All my good ideas for names are in the books. Well, then maybe you do need to crowdsource some new ones. <laughs> Brom Tady is good, definitely getting named in, in one of my <laughs> things going for. That actually is pretty good. Yeah, it's actually a better name that I... D&D name that I would expect. Yeah, sounds like a dwarf, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Never mind. Whatever. Okay. He owns a tavern. I think <laughs> we know that. Well, pissed off uh, Wes, so that means it's a, it's a winner in my book. happy y'all are happy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if people want to uh, submit some more names to you for approval or disapproval, Wes, where can they do that? Uh, That's (laughs) Rob.Davio. Luckily, that's not my email, but thank you. (laughs) And no one can spell it anyway, so it's fine. This is true. This is true. Uh, But thank you guys uh, so much for coming on and talking through this. I love hearing uh, about the creative process and how this all works. Um, If people do want to follow along with your projects uh, and what's going on, what's the... What's the best place to point them to, hopefully, if this Twitter hellscape does not uh, evaporate? <laughs> no, that's time. that's where you find me. I'm currently curled up in the cooling husk of, of Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, at Rob Davio, R-O-B-D-A-V-I-A-U. Uh, that's about the only place you'll find me. If you're very clever, you can do a fetch quest and get my email address and email me directly, but you got to earn that. <laughs> Valid. Got it. Uh, and folks can find me at at F. West Schneider on Twitter or maybe a Tumblr that I'm resurrecting. We'll oh, see. I love Tumblr. Yeah. It'll just all be pictures of Lord Soth in uh, different poses. It'll be pictures of bad names that people submitted to us. <laughs> right. I think I'm moving my game over to TikTok because that's what the world needs is a 52-year-old man on TikTok with the camera pointed the wrong way. Like, how does this work again? <laughs> Why would people watch this? Is this thing on? Uh, is this thing on? Like, I just do, this is it? This is the whole thing? You need to do some TikTok dances, some Lord Soth-inspired TikTok <laughs> dancing. <laughs> hey, it looks like we're out of time. Wow, I got to get to another so meeting. Thank you so much for dancing us out of this episode. <laughs> You're the best. You I guys can't don't wait. like my ideas. <laughs> you don't respect the craft. Is all it is. Like. <laughs> I'll keep working on it. Don't don't hate the player. Hate the game. Oh, I mo- <laughs> lo- no, I love this game though. This game is great. Yeah, yeah. Both <laughs> yeah. And the players. The players are great too. Really cool. What a wonderful, inspiring conversation uh, with two very different game designers, but I, I love that they worked so well together. I love this relationship. I want to dig into it more. Right? Yes. I think it would be, uh, I think they're going to work on something else. We're, we're not going to announce so. it quite yet, but we're... Uh, maybe they <laughs> need a, a little break and then... And yeah, then jump <laughs> you got that as well. <laughs> So fun, oh. um, and Dragonlance is going to be better for it. I can't like like I said in the in the beginning of the interview, like it really is like a culmination of what I think of when I think of the grand uh, kind of simulation stories that you can have in D anD. d The extension of politics and things that happen is unfortunately in many medieval ish fantasy societies is war, and so being able to have that uh, be the backdrop um, around the adventures that are being it just feels like that's the stakes that that i need sometimes for yeah. for a D campaign so love it can we for folks to get into it make it happen make if it you happen. want to find out about how to get a deluxe edition of dragon lance uh you can head to D beyond you can order some direct to consumer packages there that will contain both the adventure and the board game they'll get shipped to you uh, there's lots of different options for that. But if you pre-order and get those in, uh, by the time this public, public uh, this this podcast episode publishes, you actually might be able to get the digital version on D&D Beyond and start checking out just how awesome all of the work that Wes and the team have put into it. So 
Make that happen if Make you want it to. Happen. They do. All right. D&D Beyond is the place to go for that. If you want to find out about me, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter for now. <laughs> uh, I am also on Instagram, Greg underscore Tito. And what about you, Shelley Moo? Oh, I am at Shelley Moo on Twitter and Instagram. So that's it. Find that's it. There. Make it there. happen. Let's do Check this. out um, uh, Welcome to Dragon Talk in your local bookstore if they were so cool as to stock it. But you can order it through your online retailers or uh, the electronic ebook, uh, audiobook might be available to you uh, soon after it officially publishes on December 5th. That's so exciting. I know. Me too. I can't wait for people to talk about it. But in the meantime, we need some other conversating happening as Drunky Two Shoes is in the Radiant Citadel. She has been tasked by Primera, one of the speakers <laughs> of the Citadel, to speak with the three tabaxi that are citizens. And the first one that she mentioned is Timothy, who can be found in the House of Convalescence. Oh, dear. I hope he's not sick. He is a healer. She had said. Oh, that's right. You know, Drunky doesn't remember things. Uh, but she returned your bedroll as well as your rations I to know. you. You're going to need these, I'm sure. All right. I'm off to the house of convalescence. All right, then. Um, and, and then do you, do you go or do you just say that? I say that and then I realize I actually don't know where it is. Of course. Well, there is the uh, entrance slash exit to the Preserve of the Ancestors. Uh, you may find it in the city. I suggest you take a left through the trade discal, uh, and that will, if you go all the way around the Auroral Diamond, uh, of which you are in the center of right now, you shall make it to the House of Convalescence. But Thank you. Any of the denizens of here will be happy to guide you along the way. Okay. Thank you. All right. And so you head out um, at the entrance that she indicated, and yep. uh, you leave the uh, purple glow of this uh, diamond that everything is, uh, and you are back out in the settlement uh, in which there are many, many buildings, lots of greenery still, uh, but off in the horizon is nothing but void uh, and swirling mists. Okay, um, but you still f- see uh, the bustle of this settlement uh, around you. Uh, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going left, I guess. Yeah, and in front of <laughs> you, you see uh, there's like a little bit of a promenade here in front of the uh, the the preserve of the ancestors, um, and then the avenue kind of. Go uh, crosses in like a T intersection, um, and yeah, you can either go right or left. Left. All right, you're doing it, uh, and so yeah, this passes you through an area that you actually. Uh, this is right near where you first appeared uh, in the Radiant Citadel, which was uh, full. Uh, you know, you pass Drunky Two Shoes on your right after a few minutes, and uh, you start to hear the uh, commerce of uh, this whole area. Uh, you know, in, in in evidence all around you. People selling foodstuffs, people selling uh, crafted items, clothing. They're uh, on various shops and stalls uh, 
on either side of this avenue. I'm just going to keep going. I would like to stop and have another drink or something, but I am on a mission. Do I see any tabaxi around? No, you do not. Uh, you see uh, many other different types of people um, from uh, various worlds, I guess, um, but you don't see any tabaxi. Okay. So, uh, so you stroll along, you're having a lot of um, uh, control to be able to not uh, yes. go shopping. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, and you start, you're keeping the auroral diamond on your left uh, yes. and going around it. And so you're almost making a full circle around uh, this uh, settlement uh, before you start to see in the distance um, a large dome, red, with uh, that goes up and on like a cupola on the top. Um, and there are uh, people moving in and out of it. But it's a large building. Okay, I'm going to the doors. Do I see right. a sign anywhere that says what this is? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have a sign, uh, but there are uh, stationed out front, uh, a, a kind woman, a kind-faced woman uh, is there, and uh, she sees you kind of approach with a questioning look on your face, being like, is this the right place? And she said, are you in need of healing? Oh, I am in need of the house of convalescence. Have oh, I come to the right place? This, this is it. Yes, oh. you don't. Are you hurt? What, what can I? We help you with? I mean, like psychically, I'm hurt. I'm. Oh, my you've taken psychic are, damage. Did, well, did someone I mean, viciously mock you? My no, I mean not to my face, probably. But I'm looking for Timothy. Ah. He is a fantastic healer. Um, he is uh, with a patient right now, but please come in. Oh, thank you. Um, and he, she, she brings you inside, and uh, it is uh, generally one large uh, open area with uh, many people uh, seated. There's lots of pillows and cushions to make people as comfortable as possible on the stone floor and um, several smaller rooms uh, around it uh, in, a, in, the, in the circular nature of this Beautiful. building. Um, but she brings you to uh, a relatively empty part of the floor that has many cushions and pillows on it and says, please wait here. I will let Timothy know you are wanting to see him. Could I ask him what is this for? Uh, are you having troubles with your reproduction? No, I'm spayed. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at you and says, "Oh, oh, I apologize." Oh, it's all right. It's all all good. I I think Timothy might have some information for me. Perhaps you notice I am a tabaxi. I did note that you were of uh, a similar lineage to Timothy. Yes, I am hoping he can help me find my brother. Well, I'll let him know right away. And she kind of scurries off. Uh, and uh, she's so sweet. I'm going to curl up on these pillows, and I can't help it. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> okay. Uh, make me a perception roll. Oh boy, am I as, like at as disadvantage you, as, as your eyes because start I'm to, as your eyes start to, to <laughs> I am asleep. Uh, that is oh, an eighteen. An eighteen. Okay. Um, so you smell a. Um, a, a, a smell you haven't smelled in a, in a, in a long while. 
Um, as so you're about to curl up, you're kind of sleepy, um, and you get this whiff of something that feels very strong, very pungent, but also oddly enticing. Is it wet food? <laughs> it is not. Uh, as you smell that, though, uh, you um, feel uh, a, a a shadow kind of. Uh, across uh, uh, on you, or like you feel a presence as well. Okay. In addition to the smell, I open my eyes. You see, Timothy. Uh, he is a tabaxi, very tall, uh, extremely uh, broad-shouldered uh, for a tabaxi. Uh, you can see him. He's uh, uh, um, not wearing much. Uh, only having a short loincloth uh, that uh, covers up his waist area. Uh, and he looks and says, hmm, I haven't oh. seen anyone like you in quite a long while. Meow, Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll pick it up there as Damn. Timothy makes his entrance. He sure does. <laughs> <laughs> Meow. <laughs> Was that a purring sound that you were trying to make there? You know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>